This is Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada with a focus on the persecuted church around the world. I'm Greg Musselman. In the African nation of Sudan, Christians face poverty, war, and genocide. And the military government is trying to eliminate all Christian villages, churches, hospitals, and schools in an effort to Islamize the entire country. Now, although the Constitution guarantees religious freedom, Islam remains the de facto state religion, and apostasy is punishable by death under the government's Sharia law. Muslims are given preferential treatment, and sharing the gospel is prohibited. It is difficult for Christians to obtain permission to build churches. And converts from Islam who become Christians face social pressure and harassment from security services. And typically, they don't want to stay in the country. But in spite of the many challenges, hardships, and persecution facing the followers of Christ, the message of Jesus is spreading throughout the country because of the work of faithful Christians like Dr. Yasser Eric. Dr. Yasser is a former Muslim. He absolutely hated Christians while growing up in Sudan. We're going to hear his story in just a moment. Dr. Yasser has a pretty impressive resume. Uh, He is a theologian, author, missiologist, and expert on Islam. He networks with Muslim background believers right around the world and even baptizes them despite the grave and serious consequences for doing so. Since 2013, he has been directing the European Institute for Migration, Integration, and Islamic Issues and is a faculty member of the European School of Culture and Theology in Korntal, Germany. And Dr. Yasser is also the founder of Communio Messianica, which brings together Christian leaders from Muslim backgrounds. Dr. Yasser, it is so good to have you and closer to the fire. Thank you so much for having me and for inviting me. I'm looking forward for this interview. Now, before we talk about what is going on in your home country of Sudan and also the Middle East and the challenges and persecution facing Christians, but also the incredible growth of the church, especially those from Muslim backgrounds, Let's go back into your story and hear how you became a follower of Jesus. And I kind of think this probably explains why you have such incredible passion to see others come into a personal relationship with God. You grew up in a very strong and strict Muslim family in Sudan. Well, I was born in a very hostile environment to the gospel, even though I knew about Jesus, about Isa, but I never knew him personally. Even though I believed in God, never doubted that God exists, but never knew him personally. So I prayed, I fasted, I did many things, but I did not know God really personally. So I was considering myself really to be just like a servant of God, not knowing who he is. But I had a deep longing for him and to know him and uh, to experience who God is. And the way that I was, I wanted to do this is like, um, I started to become very fanatic. And I thought by excluding people, by uh, uh, persecuting people, by hating people, I'm going to please God more and more. So when I was at the high school, came a Christian from Southern Sudan, and his name was Zechariah. He was sitting next to me, even though he was the nicest and the most smart guy in our class. And that time I thought, how can an infidel, an unbeliever, be so nice and so intelligent and of a decent manner. And my hatred was more and more against him. And one day we attacked him with my friends and we wanted to eliminate him because he was a Christian. We attacked him in a very dark night. 
and we beat him so badly and Zachariah was screaming and I hear his scream up to today. And we left him in the wood between life and death and Zachariah never came back to school again. That was the encounter that I had with the follower of Christ. Till one day I was at the hospital, accompanied the son of my uncle who was severely sick. The doctors gave him no chance to live. He was in intensive care. Four weeks he was in a coma. And I visited him nearly every day and waiting that he will pass, pass away definitely. And one evening was 1990, I was sitting next to him, next to his bed in intensive care where two Coptic Christians came. And one of them came in, stretched his hand, wanted to greet me. And I saw that in his hand, there is a cross. So I pulled my hand back and I said to myself, I will never touch a hand that has a cross. And then I asked them, why did you come? And one of them said to me, we came here because we want to pray for this child. I was so ignorant not to know that Christians pray and Christians even believe in God. So that, because I was, never had any encounter with Christians. And only out of politeness, I said to them, you know, you can pray and go and I really don't want to see you anymore. And these two Coptic Christians, whom I hated, people that they've been um, classified as second-class citizen in our culture, these two Coptic Christians, brave Coptic Christians, stood next to the bed of this child and they prayed the prayer which moved me from within. And their prayer was very moving to me for two reasons. First of all, they prayed with love, as if this child is their own. I hated those people, and they came and they prayed with love, and then I said, who are those people? And the second thing that moved my heart was the fact, in their prayer they spoke to God as if they know Him personally. I said, well, I am the believer, but I never address God in that depth. And that moved me and touched my heart. <clears throat> and the minute they said, Amen, this child opened his eyes for the first time in four weeks. Wow. And life came back into him. And he sat in his bed and he started to walk. On that evening, Jesus Christ opened my heart, opened my eyes to see the light of Jesus. One of those two Coptic Christians who were under persecution sat down with me and he said to me, the real miracle is not that God heals. He could do that. But the real miracle, God wants to change your heart and want to change your life. He was the first Christian that ever talked to me and he was engaged with me. I am addressing you today in this interview, not because I know anything better than you are, but because of those brave Coptic Christians who came and reached out to me. People who are really not near the fire, but they were under fire. They came and reached to me with the gospel, with a message <clears throat> which I consider to be the most powerful message that human beings ever knew. He said to me, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life, and that Jesus is alive. And because he is alive, he could give life. And because he defeated death, I can trust him and I can uh, have a relationship with him. That evening, I had no idea if, whether this guy was telling the truth or not. But something moved into my heart and reflecting back today, 
I see it is the hand of Jesus and the Spirit of God that came in me even before I reacted to him. And that has to do with the faithfulness of Jesus. I never thought Jesus. I never wanted to believe in him. The opposite, I wanted to prove that the way to Jesus cannot be the way to God. But in that evening, God touched my heart through a brave Christian who left his comfort zone. He took the risk and came and said to me, Jesus Christ loves you. That what changed my life and brought hope and brought um, a new meaning into my life. And Jesus changed my life. He changed all of the hatred. He changed uh, all of the uh, hesitance to address God. And on that day, I discovered who God is. It's not the Almighty. It's not only the merciful. It's not only the just and the one that destroys people. I discovered God on that night as the Father. And that's why I can pray and I say, Our Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. Well, thanks for sharing that, Dr. Yasser. And what a beautiful story, an amazing story, really. You think of the love of these two Christians. They would come and pray for your family member. God was then softening your heart. You're now open to hearing the message of God's love through his son, Jesus, which you were resistant to. I mean, that's what you were taught. But you make a decision to follow Jesus. So you're no longer a militant Muslim. And as expected, you got some pushback and were persecuted by your family. Uh, the family reacted in a, in a bad way. And, and I kind of understand their reaction. You know, the word Christians and Christianity in our context is not something is positive. You know, under Christian Christianity, we understand the West, the immorality, the colonial time, the crusaders, you know, and all of this political thing. And that's why I never had any desire to come even closer to this type of Christianity. And the mistake that I did after Jesus came into my life, I went and I told my family about Christianity and not about Christ. And I regret that up to today. And they reacted and their rejection of the reaction, their, re their rejection of, uh, their reaction of rejecting me, not because I became a follower of Christ, but they thought maybe I became a new, um, uh, a member in a new group of people, or I gave my back to my culture and to my home and to my country, which was not true. I love my family deeply and I love my country and I value our culture. So what I wanted to say in this moment, it is very important when we engage with our Muslim friends to distinguish between Christianity and Christ. We are a follower of Christ. We are a follower of the one who said about himself, I'm the light of the world. And I wished that I communicate that to my father and to tell him I became a follower of Christ and not to fight over religion because Christianity is not a religion. It is a way of life where Jesus Christ is the center. At the end of the day, if, if you follow Christ, it doesn't matter what you call yourself, but you are a follower of Christ. Well, that is such an important point, you know, when sharing the gospel, whether it's with Muslims or anyone else, we need to talk about Jesus and not the Christian religion, which has a lot of baggage, especially in a Muslim-majority country like Sudan. So, Dr. Yasser, what are some of the things then that happened to you as a result of you not only leaving Islam, but becoming a follower of Jesus? 
Well, you know, the rejection and you will, you will be just cut off the Ummah, you know, like uh, uh, in our culture, we come from a collective culture. It's not an individualistic culture like in the West. In the West, you know, when you're 18, you can just go your business, mind your business, and nobody will have anything to say in your life. In a collective culture, you need the community. You need, you need the whole village to raise up a child. You know, and then when you've been cut off from this community, you can almost not survive. And that's actually not only my story. This is a story of many of people like me across the Middle East, across the Islamic world, from Morocco till Iraq, from the north to the south. And if it is in Khartoum or Kabul or Cairo or Casablanca, we experience the same. And that's why the number one challenge for us converts is not persecution, actually. Persecution makes us to be a better follower of Christ. The number one challenge for us is about identity and belonging. Where do we belong to? And what kind of an identity do we have? And this is what makes persecution to be severe. So when I was put into prison in a dark cell, you know, on that day or days, Jesus became everything that I needed. I was locked in a small cell. I could not stand, I could not sit dark i could not see the light but on that dark moment i experienced every day what it meant when jesus said i am the light of the world and that would give me courage and give me hope you know i've heard that from others as well that have been in prison for their faith in jesus that even in the midst of the suffering the darkness they still felt hope and they felt God's presence. I mean, he does promise that he'll never leave us or forsake us. And we get into these extreme situations. He is there with us in a strong way. And that's, and again, that's the hope that we have. So eventually, though, you decide to leave Sudan. Well, I left Sudan uh, and went to Kenya. So I was, uh, did, uh, I studied in Kenya. And while I was in Kenya, I had the chance to go to Southern Sudan and to visit the people that I used to hate and were engaging with them in war. And I visited the church in the 90s, uh, 1997, say, uh, 1997, 8 and 9, where we had a very, very tough war going on, uh, where thousands or hundreds of thousands of people who got killed there because of identity, because of um, they wanted to uh, not only keep their faith, they just want to keep also their culture. And that also shaped me, uh, going into southern Sudan to see the persecution. And uh, what the church went through, it was devastating at that time. I remember going to South Sudan in 2000 and seeing all the destruction and just so much death. And again, just so unfortunate, you know, South Sudan, they get independence, but the violence has continued. We need to be praying for South Sudan. The people there have endured so much for so many years. So, Dr. Yasser, you end up in Germany. You're married. You have children. But you haven't lost that passion to see Muslims experience what you have in a relationship with Jesus. Why is this so deep in your heart? Well, it is deep in my heart because of my own experience. You know, I know what's the joy to follow Christ and to know Christ and to be freed by Christ. And this I wish to everybody. Because the Bible is telling us, you know, that God so much loved the world 
this world, this terrible world, where there's wars and killing and hatred. This is the world that God loves. And he loved it and he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And what happened to me, I wish it will happen to everybody. Jesus made a better person out of me. Jesus gave me hope. Jesus is sustaining me and giving me a future. And if I die today, I know exactly where I'm going to. Not because I'm a good person and not because I've done anything to please God. I will go God to God the Father because Jesus Christ made the way. And this is what I, I, um, I wish for my friends and my family. And if you love someone, you will wish him always the best. And that's why I pray every single day that the light of Jesus Christ may shine in the lives of my family, in the lives of my friends, in the lives of many people across the Muslim world. And I wish them all of the best. You know, There is nothing will happen to make me hate Muslims. And my message to the West, we need to distinguish between Islam and Muslims. Islam as a religion, as an ideology, we can criticize it, we can have our opinion on it. And even Muslims, they will not have a problem with that because they do that the same. But what we are not allowed to engage in when we start to discriminate people and to, ex and, and, um, and to be against people and to hate people. As a follower of Christ, we cannot do that. We can reject the violence, we can reject the injustice, we can speak critically about all of the things that uh, interfere the peaceful coexistence, but we cannot start to hate people. Yeah, Jesus does not give us the option to hate people. And I know when I'm speaking in churches, and I always try to distinguish between Islam, the religion, or as you say, ideology, and the Muslim people. I mean, if we attack them with words and I mean, it just breaks down that opportunity to be able to share the love of Jesus with these precious people. Yeah, of course, of course. And, you know, to put a stigma, I don't know if that's uh, the, the English word, to, to put a stigma on person and to label him. Actually, this shows my character. Like today, if you ask me, who are you? And I tell you, you know, I am better than this person. This means I have a problem of my own identity. So we don't need to attack people, you know. We need to share the message. We need to share what is uh, important in our lives. And just let me tell you this. You know, people like me become followers of Christ, not because we have the best argument to convince people. You know, people decide to follow Christ because Christ touches the hearts of people. So it is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of God in your life and in my life. And he could do this with anybody, you know, and he has the power to change the heart of people. So it's not religion. It is a living relationship. I'm, very, I'm also very critical about many things we have in our, our, our churches, you know, I mean, Christianity and, and, and especially what is going on now in the West and all of that, we're critical about it. But our message it cannot be other than the message of Jesus Christ when he saw this woman in the well in John 4. You know, she did not know God. She lived in immorality. She was far away from God. And you know how Jesus started his conversation with her? He said to her, please give me something to drink. You know, she was the one that was thirsty. She was thirsty because nobody was loving her. She was thirsty because she did not know God. She was thirsty because she was excluded 
from the society. That's why she came to this world totally alone. And Jesus brought himself on her level. And he said to her, you know, you have something to give. This is the message that we need to send and to encounter with people. And we cannot deal with people in any way that Jesus did not deal with them. Yeah, if you're looking for, you know, effective ways to share the gospel, read the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. And it's just a great example of how you can share love and truth. And I know it's not easy to do, but Jesus gives us the example. And uh, again, we strive to be able to show that love, but again, not compromising truth. So, Dr. Yasser, you've heard many stories, Muslims having these dreams and visions of Jesus. You travel all over the Middle East and you're talking to those that are now following Jesus that have come from Islam. What are some of the stories that you're hearing about these encounters with Jesus and also the love of Christians and how it's impacting Muslims? And then there's also, of course, media, radio, television, the Internet, and of course, reading the Bible. You know, the Lord Jesus is sovereign. And he had thousands of ways to meet people. And that's why we cannot turn the Christian faith to a method. Sometimes people tell me, you know, what, give me the three points. How can I win somebody to Christ? We don't have three. We don't have two. We don't have a hundred. You know, the, because we are so different. And because God loves us the way we are. But he refused to leave us that way. And that's why God has many countless ways to meet us. So I baptized people who came to know the Lord through dream and visions. Baptized people who came to know the Lord because they have seen a Bible somewhere and they read it. I have baptized people who have seen the love of Christ in the lives of Christians. I have baptized a person in the desert of Libya and uh, he's a nomad and uh, I visited him, sat with him in his tent and I asked him, how did you come to know the Lord? He said to me one day he, he um, uh, had a visitor. Somebody visited him. From not, he was not from his tribe. He was not from his family. He said a stranger. And he said he just sat there exactly where you are sitting now. Was mentioning to where I was sitting. And then, and after giving him tea, you know, in our culture, you don't ask people immediately, who are you, where are you coming from, and how long are you staying? So you give him tea and then you start to uh, uh, get in a conversation with him. And then after time passed, he asked him, who are you actually? We, we never met before and you are not from here. And this visitor looked at him and he said to him, my name is Isa, I'm Jesus. Wow. And he spoke to him and after that he disappeared. And that's why this brother came to know Jesus. So I said to him, I baptized many people who came to know Jesus through dreams, but I never engaged and baptized someone that was led by Jesus Christ personally. And this appearance was not only for him, for the entire family. So we baptized them, not because, you know, we studied theology with them, not because they, uh, we argued, but Jesus is real, you know, and this is what we need to know in the West. You know, with all of the knowledge and the theology and the sophisticated life, we have always to go back to this very simple message that Jesus is alive and he has, he has so many ways to meet people. We have to go back to the simplicity of the gospel, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the thing is more simpler than what we think. 
we try to complicate things. But the simplicity of it, Jesus loves you, loves me, loves this world, and he is determined to meet you and to meet me. But he gives you the chance to say yes to him. And I hope that whoever is listening to us today is not fascinating about the stories that we're saying. We should be fascinated by Jesus Christ, who is alive and would like to meet you, to meet me, to meet everybody at the points of our needs. Amen to that. So, you know, you're hearing all these amazing conversion stories. It's a powerful reminder that God is working. But we do know that in many parts of the world, in the Middle East, when someone makes a decision to follow Jesus, especially if they've come from a Muslim background, things can get pretty dangerous. But, you know, let me tell you this. I believe deep in my heart, following Christ will require almost always a cost from us. You know, in the West, we bought into this idea to follow Christ should cost me nothing. I stay in my comfort zone and follow Christ, you know. So like what I call it in Germany, like um, a wellness, like, you know, like, uh, like the, 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 the gospel that does not cost us anything. This is actually a myth. I truly believe everybody who's following Christ it has a consequences. We are not people that who are going on the street and looking for problems and causing troubles. The opposite. Jesus makes better people out of us. But this is provoking those people who actually they don't hate us. They hate the Jesus in us. And that's a problem. And so when we go through persecution in the Middle East or in the Islamic world, because the people are resisting not us, but resisting this message of Jesus Christ. And that's why I would like us to concentrate more, to pray. To pray, not that the persecution will go away, but to pray that God will have mercy upon us when we're going through the difficult situation and that we can carry our cross, uh, that we can carry our cross with dignity and with grace and focusing our eyes on Jesus Christ. You know, I don't think any of us uh, want to suffer or be persecuted for our faith, but Jesus did tell us, he did remind us that if they hated him, they're going to hate us. So, you know, we shouldn't be surprised by the opposition that we're now facing in Canada and the West for those that are trying to stay faithful to Jesus and biblical values. Exactly, because, you know, we diverted our eyes away from Jesus. You know, Jesus never promised us an easy life. He said, in this world, you will have lots of tribulations and suffering and persecutions. But guess what? He overcome that. He remains Lord. He remains the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He remains the sovereign God. And that's why even in our persecution and in our rejection, we always have to remember we are not alone. Jesus prayed for us in John 17, a prayer that he will answer for us. You know, and that the same way that he was one with the Father, he wants us to be one with each other. And the same way that he said yes to the Father, you know, in the, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, there Jesus made a decision for you and for me. You know, and even though he was in agony and he was depressed and he wished this cap would be passed, but at the end of the day he said, your will should be done and not my will. And this is, should be our response, you know, I mean, you could be a normal uh, person that you're just minding your business in your office, 
and people will know that you are a follower of Christ and they start to mock you. You know, this should not discourage you. You know, you have been given a chance to be like Jesus. In my suffering, I was thanking Jesus and I said, you know, I now have a glimpse, not the big picture, but I have a, I could feel, you know, the feelings. Jesus got rejected. They spit on him. Jesus, he, he got crucified, you know, all of this. But you know what? You know, till the coming of Jesus, humanity had one story. Violence will create violence. You kill me, I kill you. You hate me, I hate you. You do me bad, I do you bad. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. He sent him to this world. Perfect. What did we do with him? We killed him. You know, like in our normal human um, uh, logic, God should have reacted with violence and to kill us because we killed his son. But do you know what was the reaction of God towards those who killed his son, towards those who rejected Jesus Christ? He did not wipe them out. His, rejection, his reaction was he rose Jesus Christ from the dead. Since Easter Sunday, each one of us has a choice to make. When people persecute us, when people hate us, each one has a choice to react the way the world would react or to react the way that God the Father reacted in his son Jesus. I have a son. You know, I could tell you today, brother, I love you and I can give you my life. But I will never say to you, I will give my son, you know, to save you. I will never say, well, I would offer my son for you. You know, doesn't matter how much I love you. But God went an extra mile with you and with me. He gave his begotten son, Jesus Christ. For whom? For, while we are yet enemies, we are not the good people. So when we speak about persecution, we always have to put that into perspective. If we have this perspective, God the Father, of forgiving those who killed his son, rose him from the dead, that will give us an option. How can we react into that? But you know, we are, we are going into a very tough direction. And the road is getting narrower and narrower and narrower. You know? And all what helps us to start and to be focused on Jesus Christ. I totally agree. You know, it's something that we do need to understand that the road is getting pretty narrow and we must have our focus on Jesus. You know, whether it's Canada, the U.S., Western Europe, Asia, or your home country of Sudan. So let's talk about Sudan. You had the Civil War. Uh, that ended in 2005, claimed the lives of 2 million people. Sudan and South Sudan then split into two separate countries in 2011. We remember the protest of 2019 that led to the overthrow of the dictatorship and the reign of Omar al-Bashir. That led to a transitional government. A further coup took place in October 2021 that led to uh, military rule again taking over. So what is the situation right now for the Christians in Sudan? Well, you know, the Lord is drawing to himself many people, you know, and we hear many good news from the, from the north, from the south, from the east. And that has nothing to do with the strategy. When we come to know the Lord, this is not a strategy, but I do believe there is so many people across the world who have been praying for us. And God is opening the heaven of heavens so that our people will come 
to know the Lord. You know, there is a, a prophecy in Isaiah about Sudan. It said that Cush would run to the Lord. The Cushite, the people that their skin is just like me. He said they will run to, to the Lord and they would raise up hands and celebrating him. And this is what is happening. But there is also another reality. You know, we have a war going on in southern Sudan, which is a very terrible and it's very unfortunate. You know, the southern Sudanese, they were being persecuted by the northern Sudan. And when they, when they separated, you know, I always hoped that peace will come. But we have a tribalism. You know, it is, it is devastating. So our challenge in, in Sudan is not only Islam. We have another challenge, you know, the tribalism with the different groups. And, and, and you know, brother, when we don't have Jesus in our hearts, it is very difficult to have peace. So peace is not a concept that you could teach. Peace is a person. And this person's name is Jesus Christ. And so I would like to ask you to continue to pray. To pray that the gospel and, and the light of Christ will penetrate in the hearts of our people. In the north, in the south, in the east, and in the west. And only when we come to know him, the Prince of Peace, then we can have a glimpse of understanding what peace means. Yes, true peace is found only in Jesus. So, Dr. Yasser, when you reflect on what you've seen in the Middle East when it comes to persecution, is it strengthening the believers? Is it discouraging them? Uh, are some walking away from their faith in Jesus? I mean, it could be all of those things, but generally, what are you seeing? Well, I think generally it is, um, uh, I see that through persecutions and, and, and through the agony that people are going through, people are experiencing uh, that God is with them. Let me tell you an example like in, in Iran. You know, Iran is one of the most oppressed countries there. But people are coming to know the Lord every single day. And I do believe what is happening now in the streets of Tehran and Qum and, and, and Shiraz. People are going in the street and this actually is not a riot. This is a revelation that led by brave women. And some of those women that are followers of Christ. You know? And through that, change will happen. And change is in the way. And so we should never underestimate what is going on in the Middle East. And we should not, yeah, I, I, you know, people around the world, they should not pity us. You know, when we speak about persecution, they, not should, they should not pity us, you know. Be, but we have a message to send across, uh, especially to Christians in the West, you know. There is a lot to be learned from the persecuted church in their exampling and being like Jesus and everything. Say, so, yes. There is a persecution, but the church is growing. And Jesus Christ said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gate of hell is not going to prevail because Jesus defeated the last enemy of humanity is death. So more than killing us, they cannot do anything more than that. Yeah, we must have an eternal perspective. If not, we can get pretty discouraged. Now, when you look at what's happening in North Africa now, you know, many of these nations so important to the early centuries of Christianity gave us many of the church fathers. You have the Middle East where the gospel got rooted, but over the centuries been decimated. But do you think there's something significant happening now as you see the church rising again in the part of the world where it all started? Of course, you know, like, I mean, if you, th if you think about, about a country like Egypt, Jesus and Mary, they were in Egypt. 
they visited that country, they lived there. Most of the, growth the great theologians did not come from Europe. They came from North Africa, from Morocco, from Algeria, from Tunisia. You know, if you look into the history of the Catholic Church, you find at least three popes that came from Libya. You know, so like I would really like to encourage you when you think about the Middle East, you should not only think about Islam and the darkness, you should think also about the light of Christ. And actually Jesus was not born in Bonn or Berlin, he was born in Bethlehem. You know, so the birthplace of Jesus Christ, the birthplace of Christianity will never be Christian free. You know, so maybe the historical churches, maybe the people who have been born in Christian homes would leave the Middle East for a very uh, legitimate reasons, you know. But God is adding every day, you know, new believers to his family. So the book of Acts is unfolding every day in the streets of Basra, Baghdad, Damascus, Beirut, Algeria, Khartoum, Cairo, in Yemen, and all over. And the best is yet to come. I like that. The best is yet to come, and it's already started. I'm going to get you to pray in just a moment, Dr. Yasser. But before we do that, I'd like you to finish the story that we started at the beginning of the interview. It's amazing and very emotional. After living in Germany for many years, I went back to Egypt, to Cairo. And the first evening, or the first day I was there speaking in a conference, I met pastors from across the Middle East. And among them, there were Sudanese pastors. And one of the Sudanese pastors came to me and asked me about where I came from. And I shared my story the same way that I shared with you today. And while I was doing that, this Sudanese pastor started to cry. And I asked him, why are you crying? And he looked me up and he said to me, do you remember me? I said to him, I have no idea who you are. And he looked at me again and he said to me, my name is Zachariah. It was this friend or enemy actually in the school where I almost killed him. I met him after many, 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 many years. And the minute he said his name, I could see the injuries. I could see what I caused into his life. I could see his broken arm and his broken leg and all of the things that I did with him. I was full of shame, and I wanted to disappear, and I no longer wanted to live. And I thought Zechariah is going to tell me how bad I was. I was a bad person. I expected many things to be said by him, but one thing I did not expect. He looked at me and he said to me, Yasser, because you hated me so much, I've been always praying for you. Well, on that evening, I discovered why God will deal with someone like me. Not because I was doing anything that is pleasing him, but because of someone who was under suffering, was praying for me, a prayer that Jesus answered, a prayer that changed my life. To respond to hatred with hatred, this is actually not difficult, but to respond to hatred with love, for that, we need someone. His name is Jesus. And Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you caused someone like Zechariah to pray for me. That the people in the Middle East and the Christians in the Middle East, being a, they have been a blessing and a witness 
to someone like me. I pray, Lord Jesus, wherever they are, and in the agony and in the problems where they are, in prisons and in the rejection, that you will be everything to our people what they need you. I pray, Lord, for my family. I pray, Lord, for my father. I pray, Lord, for my, our neighbors. I pray, Lord, for the Muhammad and Ahmed and Khadija and Abdullah. And I pray, Lord, and I thank you that you're building your church and the gate of hell is not going to prevail. I pray, Lord, for our Muslim brothers and sisters, for those who matter to us, whom we love deeply. Help us, Lord Jesus, to reflect your love and to reflect the peace which transforms all understanding to guard our hearts and our minds. In Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. And thank you, Dr. Yasser, for sharing your amazing story and how God is working in the Muslim world and reaching these precious people and helping them grow in their relationship with Jesus. So very encouraging. So again, thank you so much. Thank you so much for hosting me. Well, I do appreciate you taking time from your busy schedule to be with us on Closer to the Fire. As you're listening or you're watching and you'd like to find out more about this pretty incredible guy, Dr. Yasser Eric, and the organizations that he represents in reaching Muslims with the gospel all over the world, I'm going to put the links on the episode notes. Can I also ask you just to take a couple of moments and rate this podcast or leave a comment? It will help others discover it. We want more people praying and helping our brothers and sisters that are being persecuted all around the world. Thank you so much. And remember, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire. <laughs>